Blog Talk Radio. Final Four Wednesday. Everybody out there in Big Blue Nation, welcome to Cats Talk with Vin and Terry on the Brown and Hardy Radio Network, blogtalkradio.com. It is that time, last stop, Indianapolis. Everybody's been looking forward to it all season. Vinny Hardy here alongside Terry, Final Four Brown. That says it all right there. You change it to Final Four Brown because it's Final Four time. The cats are in the final four. What's going on, TV? Final four. <laughs> let's let's put this perspective in. Uh, six years ago today, the University of Kentucky hired John Calipari to succeed. He who shall not be named <laughs> as our men's basketball coach. Six years later. Four Final Fours and an Elite Eight appearance. I'd say that was a home run hire. I, I'd say Mitch Barnhart did well there. I, I, I just don't think people. I mean, four Final Fours in five seasons. I, I, I just don't think people understand. This is a golden age. You know, kind of not even counting what could happen in Indianapolis just right now. This resume stacks up against most of the coaches in the country. When you think about what Jim Beheim has done at Syracuse over 30 years, Cal's done it in five seasons. So yeah. this this is a special. This is this is special. Uh, you know, it's the Final Four. I don't think we can take this lightly at all as Kentucky fans, and I think most people are are enjoying this 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 date with history, if you will. I think so. I mean, even you know, if the, if you know a close game like with Notre Dame or you know a nail biter here and there, you know, it's each each ride is different, you know, each final four run since Cal's been here is different. We remember ninety six, ninety seven, ninety eight uh, runs as well. Everyone's everyone has their own ebb and flow, but I mean you gotta sit back and enjoy this. Uh you gotta reflect on it, you gotta savor it. Um it's 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 been unreal, you know, there's no other way to, to describe it. You know, the talk of it last year with the talent that was assembled end up being a little premature, but then here they are again. Uh, a few more additions, a few more freshmen here and there, and, you know, they, they're proud and ready and have made that talk as real as you can make it with two games left, you know, to go hopefully in the season. Yeah. I, I, you know, I kind of touched on this with my latest piece on 
on Wildcat Blue Nation, uh, you know, going forward, I don't know about the matchups. I don't know how we look matching up with Kaminsky and, and, and Decker and, and Wisconsin. But what I do know is these guys will not give up. They 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 won't quit. You know, Cal said this after I think it was the Ole Miss game. I believe it was the Ole Miss game, one of the games that I covered, where he basically said we shouldn't have won that game. Ole Miss did everything they could have and should have done to win, but these guys just figured out a way to win. They had a will to win. And I think a lot of people saw that as coach talk and, you know, Cal's sometimes a little prone to exaggeration and that kind of thing. Uh, But just reflecting on what happened on Saturday, and I know we're going to talk about this in depth throughout the show, the only reason they won is because they willed themselves to win. We throw that around in sports a lot. But you can't watch that game and not think that these guys just knew they were going to find a way to close the deal and win the game. Yeah. um, And this one was a little more dicey for me. We'll get into it. There's been others where uh, in Georgia especially comes to mind, uh, LSU, Texas A&M, Ole Miss. This one was more kind of like, eh, I don't know, just because of the way in which Cal said after the game was over, Notre Dame controlled the whole thing. Uh, it was a little more difficult to see how they were going to find a way this time, whereas in previous close encounters, uh, you know, it wasn't as as troublesome or Frustrating, whatever the word is you want to use to pinpoint it. This one here, kind of, uh oh. <laughs> this was the diciest of them all, even though it, it might not have been the toughest one, according to Cal or the players. It doesn't have to be. They don't have to, you know, they can feel whichever game is the toughest that they choose to do so. And I wrote that in my piece because of all the flack he caught for supposedly disrespecting Notre Dame in his post game interview with Lewis Johnson. I wrote about that on Wildcat Blue Nation. For me, this was maybe the diciest, even though, you know, it might not have been. And Cal was just mentioning they have had other tough games. A lot of people do want to forget that. Uh, Oscar Combs tweeted, let's not forget the effort that A&M and Ole Miss made. You know, Notre Dame played great, but let's not forget. Kentucky's received some great tests from other teams as well, and that's true. Exactly. Uh, yeah, this this was the one time probably all season – where I said, okay, they can lose this game. For me, it was when Aaron uh, Harrison, who, surprise, surprise, hits a three-point shot in a close game of the tournament about a good five, six, seven feet beyond the three-point line, boom. And I'm saying to myself and my wife watching with me, okay, this is this is it. This is this is where we turn it on. That kind of thing. And then Grant comes down uh, for Notre Dame and answers back with the three. And then I'm saying, yeah. okay, this is this is a dogfight. 
Notre Dame's not going away. How are we going to put them away? And we do it by hitting the last nine shots of the game. We do it by actually getting uh, the first time all game of shutting Notre Dame down on three straight possessions were the last three of the game. And I loved Aaron Harrison's quote about it. You know, someone asked him what finally clicked on defense, and he said, desperation. You know, if we don't, we don't win. And yeah. I think that was honest and refreshing. It wasn't a schematic thing. It wasn't what somebody says. We had no other choice but to do it. So, I mean, these guys, they're going to be tough to beat. Mm-hmm. On uh, Later on, I don't know if you saw ESPN after the game, but I quoted this in my piece. Uh, Jay Billis, who has been a prophet for this team, you know, we've touched on uh, his quotes in the Bahamas to the team. You know, when we were on with Cameron Mills, he touched on it then as well, just kind of explaining what would happen through the season. Uh, but he said something that, you know, if they do finish 40-0, I think needs to be on a shirt. If they play their best, they win. If they don't play their best, they find a way to win. And I think that pretty much explains this team in a nutshell. Even when yeah. things aren't going well, they can still do enough to win. And my last little rambling point here, uh, I tweet this out. I think I've been tweeting it out during most of the season when teams have looked good in stretches against Kentucky. Can you do it for 40 minutes? Can you be the better team for 40 minutes? And Ole Miss and Texas A&M, they were as good for 40 minutes, couldn't close in overtime. And Notre Dame was the better team for about 38 minutes on Saturday night. But over the, to close the game, I mean, they did what they had to do. And, and that, in my mind, is a mark of a champion. Yeah, and – we're going to continue to, to delve into this. This will be, of course, for obvious reasons, the, the focal point of our show tonight. Uh, we look forward to the Final Four against Wisconsin. We look back at the uh, Lead Eight and Sweet 16. We even touch on the West Virginia game as well and the Notre Dame, which is, of course, the most recent game last Saturday. Uh, 845-277-9373. Number get in contact with Terry and myself. Always give us a ring. You can chime in. You can tweet at Cast Talk Wednesday, Cast Talk Wednesday on Facebook. I'm sorry, Cast Talk on Facebook. Uh, at Vinnie Hardy at T Brown underscore eighty. So there's a myriad of ways uh, to chime in and interact if you want to do so. But you want to sit back and listen, that's fine. We appreciate whatever you decide to do on this Wednesday evening, taking time out of your evening to give us your ears. We definitely appreciate it. A couple things, man. I I've kicking myself because I forgot to mention it last week. Of course, we listened last week. We jumped right in with the legendary Bob Neal right at the start of the show uh, and Tyler Wyatt uh, finished out the second hour. But I definitely meant to mention it, and I, I surely forgot, and I apologize for that. Um, but I just wanted to mention Ira Combs. Hey, he tragically passed away at the beginning of the tournament, and, of course, he's known statewide throughout Kentucky just for his lovely cats, his knowledge of the cats, the younger brother, the baby brother of Oscar Combs, who, of course, founded the Cats Falls 
um, passed away at the Yum Center getting ready for uh, those first games there against Hampton, uh, the opening round games that Kentucky had right there in your city of Louisville. And it was just, it just, you know, hit the state real hard and it was very sad. Uh, and condolences to Oscar and their other brother Harold Holmes as well. Uh, I never got to meet Ira. Uh, I've heard him on different radio shows. And, and, of course, you know, he bleeds blue as anybody, but as blue as anyone uh, ever did. He was from my neck of the woods. He was from southeastern Kentucky. He was from right there beside of Hazard in the community of Jeff, uh, right there in the mountains in the coal mine community. Uh, was where they grew up at. My dad actually got to meet Ira a couple times down at the Sweet 16, the high school basketball tournament that takes place in Rupp Arena every year. And like Jen Smith said when she was on, you always wanted to check that out. It's been a few years since I've been, but it's always just a fun time when you go down for the Sweet 16 games there at Rupp Arena. But just wanted to definitely mention uh, Ira and, and give our condolences um, for us. Oscar and Harold and the rest of the family. I just kicking myself because I missed mm-hmm. mentioning it at the top of the show last week. Certainly, certainly, uh, and the Combs family, not just uh, Kentucky University of Kentucky athletics, but Con- Commonwealth of Kentucky athletics, high school, other colleges. Uh, I mean, they care about. Excuse me. They care about the the Commonwealth and, and sports and and the people, particularly in the eastern part of the state, which I think, not just sports wise, but just are criminally kind of underserved in the media. So definitely, uh, our condolences to the Combs family. Yeah, yeah, and they and they did from that when you did you mention that they did kind of go to bat for the mountain region, the southeastern part of the state. Because, I mean, we've had George Massey on, who went on from, you know, Cumberland High School, where I'm from in Harlan County, to go play at UK. He referenced a chip on the shoulder he had to have coming from where we're from because people just tend to think the kids from the mountains can't play. You don't get the same exposure, don't get viewed or perceived the same. Um, and it's not a knock, but that's, it's always been that way. You know, the kids from Louisville and Lexington, you know, they're just the bigger cities in our state. Um, but the kids from the mountains, they, they got to kind of have that edge to them to go and show, hey, we can compete with the kids from St. X and Manuel and Henry Clay and Dunbar and Tate's Creek and Bryan Station, and you go, you go on and on and on. Uh, talked about that with George on the show, uh, Eddie Creeks on the show as well. So, and Ira, of course, love the whole state, but they definitely had that soft spot for Southeast Kentucky being from there and growing up there as well. So I was just, you know, meant to mention it last week. I know that we both knew and it was on our minds. We just didn't bring it up while we were on. So definitely want to make sure we did that. Oh, definitely. One other thing, too, I thought was kind of cool. On the show, just our Twitter, Cast Talk Wednesday, we had a little interaction with a celebrity, if you will, back when the tournament first started. We knew that Kentucky was going to be facing Hampton. You know, Hampton knocking off Steve Maciello and, and Manhattan to have the right to face the Cats. You know, when the tournament always starts, the schools that you don't hear of a lot or see a lot, they'll put up the information about the school, where they're located, how many students are enrolled there, famous alums there, you know, things of that nature. 
So I just kind of pulled up some famous alums that went to Hampton. And the first two that popped up, number one was Booker T. Washington. Number two was Wanda Sykes. And I was like, boom, that's all I need to know right there. That's the only two I need. You got one from way back. You got one that's kind of current. So I tweeted that out on our Cats Talk account. Boom, famous Hampton alums. Just threw it out there because it was just something I was curious about. If somebody else saw it, they might have been wondering, you know, there it is. And one of the Sykes actually replied back to our little show account tweet. And she was like, geez, what a leap, you know, because I did that. I went from Booker T. Washington to her truly, <laughs> you know. And she, she was like, wow, what a leap. <laughs> and I thought that was cool. I, I mean, she got like a quarter of a million followers. I didn't think she'd see it, and if she did, I sure didn't think she'd reply. But I thought that was cool of her. And then so I replied back. I was like, well, you know, seeing you and Booker T, and that rested my case. That was the that was all I needed to see for famous Hampton Lowe. No doubt there are others, but that was it in a nutshell. When you had a, a older one and a newer one that was current, and that, you know, it was cool of her to just reply back. So I thought that was neat. So if anybody saw that, you know, you, you you saw it, and I just thought it was cool that she interacted uh, and replied back to us. Yeah, every now and then when you can get a, a celebrity to kind of respond to you, it's uh, I, I definitely understand for her to respond back to that. That's that's fantastic. That is definitely fantastic. Yeah. And, of course, she's hilarious. Um, you know, when she you talk about her from a comedy standpoint, she's hilarious. And, that kind of leads to our guests. We'll have Larry Vaught on to drop knowledge about the cats, and we'll have Roy Wood Jr., who's hilarious, another comedian who's been on the show before. They're both coming up in the second hour. Larry Vaught should be around 7, Roy around 7.30. And Wanda, from the movie standpoint, I'm not a huge movie guy, but I've seen Monster-in-Law with the lovely Mrs. Katie Hardy, my better half, and Wanda and Jane Fonda and Jennifer Lopez, they're all hilarious in that movie. So, you know, there's that. You know, unless he's speechless, but that's cool. I thought that movie was funny. And uh, I don't just watch a bunch of movies, but I've, I have seen that one multiple times, too, I might add. I have I have not seen that one, to be honest with you. It is. I've been out we, for a we, while. Yeah, we will watch movies, but I have not seen that one, strangely enough. Check out Monster-in-Law because Jane Fonda is just a classic Nobody's Good Enough for My Son, and then Wanda plays her assistant. Jane is, of course, this rich lady, and Wanda is her assistant, and Jane gets on her nerves, and it's just the interaction between them is funny, and then, of course, the interaction with her trying to break up Jennifer Lopez from being her potential daughter-in-law, it's it's pretty funny. You know, I like the comedy type. When I I do watch something, I want to watch something funny. but I'm not a huge movie guy, but my wife likes a lot of movies, so I've watched quite a few with her since we've been married. But me, myself, I'm I'm hardly ever just going to pop in a movie or flip to a movie. It's just, just not me. But I've watched a lot with Mrs. Hardy and have fun doing so, and that's one that we have seen a couple times. So I've got a little plug for Monster-in-Law, and got that in. <laughs> and two, man, um... Didn't want to do spoiler alert, but it is tournament time still yet with the Final Four upon us. Um, we talked a couple of weeks ago, and, of course, everybody talked nationally about the Leitner documentary. You had yet to watch it when we talked about it on the show. Had you scoped it out yet, or are you still kind of just going to get to it later? Or 
I, it is still on the DVR, but uh, with the games and, and coming and going and uh, soccer practice has started for uh, for the girls, so I have not actually sat down and watched it. Um, but I definitely want to give it a shot uh, because my nine-year-old asked, actually asked me one day, she said, Daddy, why do people hate Christian Leitner? So <laughs> it, it, it is an issue <laughs> Uh, I think around in the Commonwealth, so I definitely want to give it a shot. I just have not uh, to this point. Well, we will continue to tease that until you watch it, so y'all keep tuning in to hear when we talk about it. So, hey, this is something else to keep y'all tuning in. We will talk about it, even if it's after the tournament, which, you know, after this weekend tournament will be over. But that's still, that's always relevant. You know, everybody's thinks about Christian Leitner, whatever they're going to sing, no matter what time of year it is. He's just more prevalent this time of year uh, with what he did as a player at Duke and specifically in the Duke and Kentucky game. So we'll we'll chop that up when you watch it. Uh, if it's later on in the year, things slow down, it'll be something good to talk about then. We'll definitely get back to that as well. Um, UK baseball and softball, too, just on another Kentucky sport. Uh, of other Kentucky sports note, who've had some success on the Diamonds against LSU. Uh, they both took the series two games out of three, baseball and softball, and LSU was highly ranked in both of those, so it was good to see the Cats more than hold their own uh, against the two highly tout- touted LSU baseball and softball teams. So that was cool to hear. Yeah, they were both uh, uh, top-ranked, I believe, both uh, LSU, yeah. uh, the baseball and softball. You know, LSU has had a, a great baseball history. Uh, they've won, I think it's five or six of the College World Series, and they're very, very competitive. So if if the baseball team is going to kind of get back on track, uh, I think that this is the way uh, they can do that. They can use that as a stepping stone. Yeah, and those those SEC games, those weekend series are, are crucial. You know, you get the three cracks at teams till Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. Uh, Thirty game schedule in the SEC, uh, so you want to win more series than you lose. And uh, taking two out of three from LSU is a good start. Remember a couple of years ago, they kind of did the same thing at the start of the conference season against South Carolina, who was highly ranked, and they just kind of rode that wave all season long and impressed a lot of people with the type of season they had with the baseball team. So um, we'll probably focus our attention a little bit more on that once the tournament's over. Uh, that'll kind of slide into focus along with the NBA playoffs, things of that nature. So congratulations uh, to Coach Lawson and Coach Henderson for U.K. baseball and U.K. softball. Um, We go back to – West Virginia, because that hadn't taken place. All the trash talk we talked about, but then the actual game hadn't taken place because, you know, it was on Thursday, the day after we were on. So, uh, you know, Daxter Miles saying he's going to be 36-1. You had guys saying that UK didn't play hard. I mean, all of these different things. Uh, West Virginia's press was going to be troublesome. Press Virginia, what they were called, and turn guys over and, and, and things of that nature and it just for a sweet 16 game I don't think I've ever seen one well maybe I mean but this ranks right up there with one as far as being just over 
as soon as it starts. I mean, the buzz and the hype and electricity of it being a Sweet 16 game evaporated pretty much as soon as the ball was tipped, TB. I mean, it was over. And it wasn't like the Billy Packer game where it was over and then the team ended up losing that he said that about or, you know, nearly giving the game away. This one was O-V-E-R immediately. Well, and the thing with West Virginia, uh, okay, they're tough, as as most Bob Huggins teams are, you know, from his days at Cincinnati and his days at, at West Virginia. But their their strength kind of played into our strengths. I just I don't think you can press this team consistently. The Harrisons, Booker, Eulis are just too good uh, for you to press. It was a game that was never close, and you have to remember that uh, Towns didn't even score a field goal, and yet it was a 39-point game. And it was one of those games that could have been a lot worse. Uh but I know Huggins and Cal are, are friendly, so. Uh, but it could have been a fifty. It, it could have been much worse than it was. Uh, I, I wasn't worried about West Virginia. Uh, like I said, you can't press this team. And uh, as we've seen throughout the year, Kentucky's size, even with Towns not contributing, uh, really gave them fits uh, defensively. They they couldn't get shots. I mean, it wasn't until. You know, well in the second half, they 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 crossed a twenty point threshold. Uh, there wasn't a whole lot they could do. There, there was no lanes to drive. There was no angles to pass. It was throwing up some slop and, and shooting fadeaways over our seven footers. So, uh, yeah, that was uh, if you're going to have a cakewalk game in the uh, Sweet Sixteen, that's the way to go. Yeah, and. If you're going to talk to talk, Dax at least got to hit his two free throws, right? I mean, if he doesn't do anything else, at least he wanted to, right? So you might have think... a bad shooting night from the field. At least he had a free throw. <laughs> well, and, and I don't think, I mean, as a fan, I didn't take exception with him saying they're going to be 38-1. and one. Or, or 37 and one, whatever, whatever it was, I can't remember. I've got zero problem with that. If a reporter asks you, you're going to win the game as a competitor, you say yes, we are going to win. Zero problem with that. But when you start saying the cats don't play hard, I think yeah. that's what I kind of took offense with, or offense to. And after the game, you saw that from the team that they took an exception to that as well, uh, some of the guys getting on Twitter and response and that kind of thing. So um, at, at this point, you, you don't want to poke the beast because really when things kind of turned in the Notre Dame game was when there were a couple of dunks by that Augustine and Connaughton uh, for Notre Dame where they got some great looks, but they hung on the rim, I think, a little too long. And 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 that's when things took a turn for the worst. Notre Dame was up five or six at that point, looked to be in control, and that's when uh, the vice grips started started crushing down on them. So I don't think you want to antagonize this Kentucky team 
Because unlike 96, they don't, you know, they're not going to trash talk you back, but then you're going to turn around and at the end of the game, you know, you, you've lost. So I, I don't know if you want to antagonize these guys and add more fuel to the fire. Yeah, and and you got to see if you had those guys play well, and especially uh, August. Uh, he, I mean, he played. He bought. He played some ball. You know, uh, the up and unders, reverse layups. You know, a lot of his buckets on the move, and kind of compromising UK from that standpoint. Uh, he uh, had a better game than I thought. I thought you know our size would kind of just you know um, neutralize him and 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 remove him from the equation a little more easily than that. But he he played well, got confident, got momentum, got a nice groove, and had a heck of a game. Um, the Congress kid, too, and, of course, Grant was Grant. Um, and then having said that, you, you mentioned Carl Towns against West Virginia, and, you know, he didn't, didn't you know, really do anything. It was still a 39-point game. You had to know that he was going to make his presence felt the next time out against Notre Dame. And, I mean, he just went to work. And it's one of those things, we're going to keep doing it until you stop it. And, you know, he set up shots over and over and over and over and over again. And August was doing well on his end offensively, but then, you know, he was no match for Carl down low. And Carl was setting up and doing his thing down on that low block. Well, and, and here's my thing on that is I was surprised that it's he didn't that Notre Dame did not double team sooner simply because he let Towns get in a groove and and Towns is great but if you're just going to single cover him with a guy that's four or five inches shorter and giving up some you don't want a big man to get in that groove he's got that little hook over his right shoulder. You you would hope they would have started shading and uh, kind of coming with a hard double team a little bit faster. I know that uh, he passed out of it and Euless got a three, and uh, but they let Carl get in the groove and or Carl Anthony, excuse me, and and Andrew got him the ball. Andrew kind of forced the issue, and a lot of times you don't see that on the college level where you've got a guy that is dominating sometimes. You know, they go away from him. I mean, he he touched it on 90% or more of of the offensive possessions when he was in in the second half. Uh, Wasn't doing as much as he usually does on defense, but you've got to ride him and make them them change their game plan. And Notre Dame didn't until it was too late. Yeah, like like you're saying, just something to – try to disrupt him or throw him off or, or change up the look. And he the look he was getting was single coverage with August playing behind him. Like you said, no hard digging, no no quick double, no let him take a dribble or two and then double, no changing up the looks, you know, a change up, a curveball instead of a straight fat, you know, no mixing it up at all. So he didn't have to adjust anything. He just kept doing what he was doing. <laughs> because, I mean, and, and, it was point blank, high percentage, just dropping it in repeatedly. And, and the one time he did 
led to uh, Andrew stepping out on the baseline. The one time they actually put a little pressure on Towns and actually made him pick up the dribble uh, because up until that point, he was catching it, going to his move, dribble, dribble, shot up. I mean, it was just routine. The one time they kind of shaded with Andrew's guy a little bit, forced him to, to pick up the ball when he didn't want to and give it back to Andrew, that led to the uh, to that turnover. But one thing about Notre Dame, and this is what concerned me, is uh, the, the shots that Kentucky typically gives up in the offense is the fadeaway three-pointer over a lunging seven-footer. That if you if you look at a lot of the Kentucky games, that's a shot they typically give up. Opponents aren't driving usually, and they're shooting these contested shots. The one thing I knew, Notre Dame can hit those shots, and they did. That's what was really concerning, and I'm really glad they fought that off uh, because Notre Dame could hit those shots that most teams cannot hit on a regular basis. Yeah, and. As as good as Grant was, you know, with, with his quickness, with his hesitation, with getting all the way to the rim, with shooting from deep to stretch things out, shooting over the top, uh, when it was all on the line, he tried that step back, and, and Willie was able to extend and get it, you know, a, a crucial block right there when it was needed most. Really was able to get it, you know, with him having as good a game as he had. Once again, like you said, desperation, call it what you want. What Andrew said, tighten up the vice grips. Willie was able to get up and extend and get a hand on that and get a piece of of that step back when Grant tried to, you know, create a little space and get one, sneak one in over. And, and, and definitely, and this brings up another point that I think. And it's not just Kentucky fans. It's college basketball fans uh, in general. Number one, I love the way CBS and Turner Sports, the way they they spread out, and you can see every game in their entirety. It makes so much sense now, but, you know, when we were coming up, uh, you had games stacked on top of each other, and and you never really saw, especially, you know, the first couple rounds, you never really saw a whole game with your team. You know, they're joining in progress. So this is, we're living in the great times of being able to see every game in its entirety across the platform. But what happens is you get a lot of folks unfamiliar with college basketball, either covering the games or in the studio. Now, my man Charles Barkley, loving to death, and he's the first one to admit his knowledge of college basketball is limited. I wish some of the other folks were as humble. Uh, which brings me back to my point of during the Notre Dame game with Lynn Elmore and Chris Weber, it was like they had never seen Kentucky play before. Going on talking about Willie Cauley-Stein and uh, even uh, Marcus Lee on the perimeter. When they've been doing that all year, you know, Willie was guarding Moody on the perimeter against Ole Miss. That is not an unusual situation for him. Does it seem like a mismatch? Yes. But, you know, up until that point, that was a workable solution for the team. That was nothing different than what they usually do, but you didn't know that from the commentators. 
So my thing is, if you've got just kind of casual fans watching it, they're going to listen to the commentators and say, well, what, what are these teams doing? When, in fact, this is something the teams have been doing all year. That was one of my frustrating things with the, with the game. As, do they really know this team? Uh, yeah. You know, I think it was, <laughs> you know, Lynn Elmore touched on the free throw situation about John Calipari teams. You know, and this team through the SEC tournament shot like 80-something percent from the free throw line as a team over those three games. I, I I just think folks latch on to a narrative and they go back to it without seeing this team is wholly unique from every other John Calipari coach team. Uh, right. So I, I think that sh- that cheats the viewers a little bit because they're not getting that knowledge that that you would expect the color commentator to bring to the game. And I I, I saw your your C-Web tweet. <laughs> <laughs> when you was a tad bit upset with him, uh, as were quite a few people. But in uh, from standpoint of um, you know them kind of getting over everybody's skin, yeah, you can see that. And this is the case with no matter no matter who it is, we can tell you've been undefeated, prohibitive favorite. Um, anytime the inferior team or lesser talented team or lower seated team is getting the lead and getting them on the ropes. The momentum and everybody's going to swing towards the side of David to the fully upset, you know, uh, and even it, it creeps into the officiating, it creeps into the commentating, it creeps into the uh, fans in the arena who may have no dog in the fight, uh, you know, fans of whoever played before. Or, you know, there weren't even, you know, Kentucky and Notre Dame fans might have been pulled from Notre Dame. Just, oh, let's see if they can pull off this upset. The whole vibe changes and goes towards the, the side of Notre Dame. Um, just like when games that aren't involved in Kentucky, we watch them, you know, back 2001 when Hampton beat Iowa State. You know, I was pulling for Hampton. I ain't know anything about Hampton. But they, they're hanging in, and then they got the lead with three minutes to go. I just lean towards that way. And now we're seeing it happen with with Kentucky's involved. Everybody's leaning the other way, trying to see the upset, to see history halted as we're trying to see hopefully history made. And it'll be the same thing with just Wisconsin, not as much David and Goliath standpoint because, you know, it's big boy against big boy. But, you know, everybody who wants to see history halted, you'll you'll feel that, you'll feel that vibe, you you know, in the stadium, in the arena, in the broadcast, you know, if you're listening to Jim Manson, you know, uh, Raftery, you, you'll feel it. It'll just kind of permeate subconsciously sometimes. Well, and, and this is what makes, I, I think, these different Final Four runs uh, different. This team was supposed to be here. You know, last year, you know, February – that team was not supposed to be in the final four. 2012, oh, yeah. I mean, we kind of knew early, you know, early on this team is, is final four at the very least. Then you look at 2011 and all the road woes they had and the way the bracket set up for them to get to that final four. Uh, so we've had a mix of, and I don't think Kentucky is ever really the underdog, 
but you can say surprise runs to the Final Four, and that's what's kind of made it so special. Last year, totally unanticipated. Just my whole thing was when I saw last year's bracket, I'm like, let's give Wichita State a game. And then after that, hey, it's just gravy. And then, you know, you get to that championship game, and you say, man, I'm disappointed, but wow, what a run. I mean, what a a ride. And and even this year, even though we kind of expected them to get to this point, that's hard to do. And, you know, we talk about the, the coaching, coach of the year thing where uh, Tony Bennett for UVA won and, and Cal didn't win because sports writers get lazy and have this narrative, well, he did more with less. And my thing is, it is easy to come out of nowhere. That's easy. If nobody's expecting you to do things, you can fire up your troops and you can say it's us against the world. And you can, you can, I don't want to say it's easy, but it's easier than from day one being number one and for, you know, 31 games in the regular season, taking everybody's best shot. Everybody's best shot. That. That's special, too. That's hard to do when you're the favorite and you still go out every single night and do it. That's when you know a team has gone from very good to great to to on the historic level. That's where when you look at professional sports, you know, if you're playing on a, a sub-500 team putting up big numbers, well, that's not very impressive, you know, can you do it for a championship-level team? Then we say you're now at that elite status. Uh, so I, I think the people that we say, hey, this team is going to be good, and they go out and do it, they get my vote because uh, that's hard to do. Absolutely. Absolutely. And we'll get into a little bit of that more, get into a little bit more of, Terry's boy, Chris Weber, uh, on the broadcast and off the broadcast. We'll dive into some of his observations. Um, and we look to have Larry Vault and Roy Wood Jr. on in the second hour. Um, but we'll take us a quick little break, get a song in, catch our breath, talk about Sea Web a little bit, all that and more. On this final four Wednesday of Cats Talk with Vinny and Terry on the Brown and Hardy Radio Network on blogtalkradio.com.
Enjoying the show. Happy Final Four Wednesday evening to everybody. Kentucky takes on Wisconsin in the nightcap Saturday in Indianapolis at Lucas Oil Stadium in the rematch of their contest from this same time a year ago. Looking forward to that. Looking forward to hoping for 39 0 and then seeing who they face Monday night between Duke and Michigan State. Um, but we'll go back. A little bit backtrack. This is Vinny Hardy alongside Terry Final Four Brown, eight four five two seven seven nine three seven three. The number to contact us at Cast Talk Wednesday on Twitter at Vinny Hardy at T Brown underscore eighty on Twitter as well. But C Webb had a few thoughts on Willie Cauley Stein on Mike and Mike the other day. I'm sure you heard what he had to say. Uh, and his thoughts, you know, Willie wouldn't start, probably wouldn't, wouldn't do well, wouldn't make it in the league. So it was crazy to compare him to DeAndre Jordan. If you're a seven-footer and can't average 10 points, you can't make it in the league, people. You know, he was just emphatic and, and then went on to compare him to DeAndre Jordan, talking about how silly that was, saying that DeAndre is, is seven foot 
fifteen, which would translate to eight foot three, seven fifteen, and 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 this kid is seven foot and two forty, and it, it was just on and on and on. And I just, what was what was your thoughts on your boy, C Web? And I really like C Web. I especially like C Web when he was at Sacramento, when they were you know trying to beat your Lakers in the conference final. That's a different thought, <laughs> but I had to just throw that out there. <laughs> No, no, I, I, I just said that. I just said that. But uh, with uh, with Weber, I I, I don't know how uh, these guys with such certainty know what the future holds. I think what we can take away from what what Cal is doing at Kentucky is these guys, these kids, are a lot more talented. Can do well. Can do a lot more things than we see them do in college. I think that's obvious. I, I don't think we saw Anthony Davis in his season here take. I don't think very many shots outside of the paint. Maybe ten. I, you know, I don't. I don't know the numbers. But you look at him in the NBA. He is lighting it up from all over the place. I think we sometimes get stuck on numbers, uh, and you see this sometimes with the. Uh, uh, Jahil, Jahil Okafor and uh, Carl Anthony Towns debate, of course he's going to, Okafor is going to have the better numbers because of the minutes per game. And, I, and it seems simple enough to me that I don't understand why more people pay to, to look at this and understand this, why they don't see it. The Kentucky numbers, especially on this year's team, are – the, the points per game, it, it's going to be deflated, number one, of a, a minutes played, but number two, they're playing with other talented people. Yeah. Uh, I personally think Willie is going to find a spot on the roster. Is he going to be an MVP candidate? I don't think so because he is, to this point what I've seen, limited offensively. Can he develop a, a go-to offensive move? I think so. But I think he brings enough things to the table where he can have a successful NBA career. Uh, and I think we get in our minds that if uh, a guy's not going to be a perennial all-star superstar, well, then he's garbage. Well, no. I mean, there's there's only so many of those guys in the league, but you need good role players to win championships. That's how you do it. Yeah, and I think it was um... – Orlando Antigua today, I think he was on with uh, Matt Jones on KSR and Ryan Lemon, and he even mentioned that, that Willie's jumper was a little underrated. He's, he's shown it a little more this year. We've seen him step out and, and splash some jumpers, some little baseline jumpers, 12, 15-footers. And like you said, Anthony Davis, you know, things that we didn't actually see, you know, at UK as far as fully on display um, when he was the – taking the fifth most shots on the team, but yet, you know, it was in the arsenal. It wasn't always, you know, I'm, here you go, I mean, let me just showcase it, but it was there. And some of that is kind of under the surface uh, with Willie. Um, and, you know, the DeAndre, DeAndre Jordan comparisons, I mean, he's tearing it up now with the Clippers, you know, Lob City, the blocks, the rebounds, uh, the dunks. He's a physical specimen. But just now, this season and last season, to Weber's point about 
you got to average 10 points a game or you won't make it in the league. Those are the first two seasons he's ever averaged more than 10 points a game. He's been in the league since 08, 09, and he's just now starting to hit double figures in scoring. So, and at Texas A&M, I mean, they weren't in the SEC then, not a big basketball power. I don't even remember DeAndre Jordan in his one year at Texas A&M. But here he's tearing up the NBA. So is he a bit of a late bloomer? Yes. Is he having a heck of a career? Yes. Is he still going to have some more good years? Yes. Will he average 10 points a game next year? Maybe not. Is he going to be in the D League because of that? No. <laughs> um, another thing, you know, we talking about – Yo, DeAndre's seven foot fifteen. He's like he's just so much <laughs> bigger than Willie. Willie's listed as seven foot. DeAndre's listed as six eleven. So mm-hmm. even if you can't take listings verbatim at you know as you know in stone cold locks, but he's at least every bit as tall as Jordan. Might be an inch taller if they're truly what they're listed as. Um, Tyson Chandler is another guy that comes to mind. You know, long, athletic, uh, can run the floor well, block a lot of shots, change a lot of shots, won a title with the Mavericks, um, been in the league 14 years. He's only scored double digits in five of those. So barely, uh, you know, like a third of his career, he's averaged double figures in the NBA. Nobody has ran Tyson Chandler out of the NBA on a rail. So it, those the, the points that he was just kind of sticking so emphatically on don't really hold up when you just you can just think of two guys that shoot that down right right off the bat. You know, Matumbo wasn't lighting the world up scoring. You know, defense and rebounding had a heck of a career. And so I mean, who's to say that Willie won't go and do the same thing? I'm not saying he's gonna start. I'm not saying he's not gonna just dud out and not even make it in the NBA. You know, so and really in the NBA, it's it's. If, if you're not one of those 20 superstars, you know, if you're not LeBron, if you're not uh, Kobe uh, or, or, or James Harden, it's what can you do at an elite level? What is, is there some skill, like with, with Chandler, that you point out, you put him on a team full of jump shooters like he had with the Mavs where he doesn't need to really score a whole lot in the set offense, and boom, you've got a championship contender on your hands. So it's all about finding your niche in the league. What can you do at an elite level to help a particular team win? I mean, Bruce Bowen, I don't know if he ever dribbled the ball his entire time in San Antonio, (laughs) but he played defense, and he mastered that corner three that – when he was opposite of Duncan, Duncan getting doubled, uh, ball reversal, bam, that's his shot. It's, it's, it's things like that that keep you in the league. Not necessarily are you a good ball. There are a lot of good ball players not in the league. You can go to any park in America and see very good ball players, but it's what can you do at an elite level time and time again that sets you apart from uh, from other guys. And I think Number one, Willie Cauley-Stein is a legit seven-footer. And we have seen historically teams, GMs, coaches, if you can walk in a straight line, if you can somehow dribble 
a basketball. At seven feet tall, you get a shot at the NBA. I mean, I, I think that that's just going without. If you can do anything, you get a shot at, at a seven when you got a seven footer. So if he's gonna show some of those defensive instincts, uh, because it, for my money, Willie coming off the bench as your first big off the bench in the NBA, because he can play the pick and roll very, very well because of his mobility with with the with the guards. I, I think that is going to be one of his skills that he brings because the the NBA it's it's a lot of pick and roll, side pick and roll at the top. That's what initiates a lot of the NBA's offense, and uh, I think that's a skill that he has. Uh, so I, I disagree with C Web on this. Yeah, yeah, I just had to, you know, I had to bring it up. It was, you know, big statements this time of year about a Kentucky player. He had just worked the game. Uh, so, I mean, you know, we just had to had to throw those out there. And, uh, yeah, I just don't – they just don't really hold up or as to, as to why or what. The reasoning was behind what he was saying, um, well, but you know, well, I, I think it is what it is. I think, yeah, he caught a lot of flack. I think on Twitter during the game from Kentucky fans for not really knowing what Kentucky does this particular team, and I think that kind of fueled it a little bit uh, because uh, one of my friends on uh, on Twitter actually got a response from Lynn Elmore in her critique of their coverage, and basically it was something along the lines of, you know, she had a pathetic life or something like that. So I think these guys are a little sensitive to uh, the backlash that they get from the uh, Big Blue Nation, but we are so vocal and we are so passionate. And like I said, legitimate criticisms, I'm I'm okay with that. That comes with yeah. You know, and we should be. Uh, we shouldn't be that sensitive to where we're not. Right. I'm, I'm asking the same question. How is Connaughton getting these rebounds and we've got two seven footers on the court at all times? How is that happening? That's legitimate. As Lynn Elmore yeah. said during the West Virginia game, questioning whether or not Towns wanted to be in the game without acknowledging his foul trouble. See, that's a problem. When you're saying, well, you know, I don't know if he wants to be out there. Of course he does. Towns is is a workhorse, and we saw it against Notre Dame. Of course he wants to be in there and, and help the team win. Because when he gets in the lockdown mode, like against uh, Notre Dame, against Georgia, on the road against LSU, on the road at Florida, he becomes special. When the game's on the line, he plays his best, and that's and he's a freshman, and that's that's what just frustrates I think a lot of the Kentucky fans is you don't know this team at all. You're just watching this team shoot around before the game, and you're just kind of guessing on what you're seeing, and that's the frustrating thing for Kentucky fans that know basketball and know this team. Yeah, and so you know it, it is what it is. I usually don't get has been out of shape as a lot, you know, a lot of fans may about generalizations or, you know, messing up facts or 
you know, writers in the media that write hate pieces or have a bias against Kentucky. I usually don't even, you know, worry about all that. But, you know, that was just so, I was like, man, I even, you know, tweeted at Weber a couple of times, and it wasn't like I came at him, you know, cussing him out. You know, I'm sure they got a lot of that. And, you know, but, you know, you put yourself out in public and, you know, say things like that, you're going to get a reaction, whether it's the classist or not, is up for debate. But I just said the same thing to him that I said to you. I was like, you know, uh, you know DeAndre just started averaging double figures the past two seasons. <laughs> and I said, Willie is listed at seven foot. DeAndre is listed at six eleven. I said, Tyson Chandler has only averaged double figures in five of his 14 seasons in the NBA. And, you know, whether he saw it or not, whatever. But um, you know, I didn't come at him just, just you know, all key off. You know, I just I just threw it out there. There it is. He left. You know, you probably knew it. If you did, fine. If you didn't, you should have. Or, you know, at least check a stat or two before you say something. Because I'm not a huge, I mean, I'm a stat geek. But it didn't take two seconds to just find that and <laughs> tweet it to him real quick. And, you know, especially since he was so bent on using DeAndre Jordan and 10 points a game and all that in his, you know, uh, convincing argument. Oh, Mike and Mike. So it was just real easy to kind of shoot that down. So, you know. Uh, and like I said, I don't get super bent out of shape because, you know, people are still going to say what they're going to say. Writers are still going to write what they're going to write. You know, Pat Forty, your boy Goodman, you know, everybody can get mad at what they say or do. They're still going to do it. Nothing's going to change. So, you know, even though they're not accurate on a bunch of the stuff they write, you know, as far as your case is concerned. But I uh, had to just throw that C-Web stuff out there real quick. Um, and as far as broadcasting, we'll just segue right on into the team cast because this year, as they did last year, each team, you can flip away from CBS and catch the broadcast, uh, UK, Wisconsin, whatever team you're a fan of, Michigan State and Duke will have their own uh, team again. And this year for UK – it will be Dave Baker, Buzz Baker, Rex Chapman, the color guy, you know, is Dave doing play-by-play, and Michael Eves is doing sideline reporting. What did you think of the three-man team that was selected for this year? Uh, I've forgiven uh, Rex because, you know, he's got some some personal issues that, you know, we don't need to to get into, but uh, I think it's a neat concept. And, again, it goes back to being in the, uh, I think, the golden age of the tournament as far as broadcasting, that you have the ability to to give different perspectives. You know, ESPN has done this with the uh, college football championship game where they have the coach's view where on, I think it's ESPN2 or U, where the coaches are watching the game and giving you their insights. And I think it's gold. Yeah. I, I, I really do. I think it enriches the uh, the experience when you get that other when you get that other kind of point of view. And having your hometown guys uh you know they're gonna lean your way. <laughs> you know. Uh, so you really can't get as frustrated with those folks, uh, because you know they're they're seeing it through the big blue color glasses like you are. Uh, so I think it's a great concept, and I will probably 
kind of flip back and forth between the between the two broadcasts uh, because there's only so much uh, Jim Nance I can take at one time. <laughs> that was my next question. I was going to ask how how does Terry Phone for Brown watch the broadcast? You know, with the advent of the the team cast these past couple of years, that was that was my next question. How do you watch? And you know. Last year was brand new. I mean, it's still going to be a cool concept if they do it every year from now on. Um, but this year is kind of, okay, we, we know what the deal is because we've experienced it last year. Um, I'm, you know, I'm cool with Rex. I was surprised that he was on there again, to be honest. But, um, you know, he did a great job when he was on there last year with Rob Bromley. Of course, this year would be Dave Baker. And we can see what Michael E's is talking about. Um as far as just the other teams, Duke has Tom Wormy, Al Abdonavi, of course you remember him, big man from the nineties clubs that used to play for Duke. Uh, Chris yep. Chris Batola, sideline reporting for them. Michigan State has Brian Anderson play by play. Mateen Cleves, we all know him well from their two thousand championship team. Uh, and Shereen Sass sideline reporting. <laughs> um Wisconsin, Wayne Larrabee play by play, Mike Kelly color, Phil Dawson, sideline reporter. And honestly, last year, I uh, I watched a lot of the UK team cast, and you kind of know what you're getting with Jim Nance. I mean, he's been doing it for years and years. Um, but I I flipped to uh, I flipped to Wisconsin too, just to get their perspective, just to you know hear what it's like. I like hearing different network guys from different teams in different regions, stuff like that. Uh, the Florida UConn game that came on before Kentucky, I flipped to both team cast of that, and then I, you know, hit Jim Nance for a minute. But I bounced to all three uh, during both games, uh, and then, of course, I stayed on UK team cast more so. But just uh, you got those options, like you said, uh, it's not just the same, you know, set of broadcasters that's always every year. You know, it gives you a different flavor, different vibe. You mentioned it with the BCS title game. Those coaches, when you flip to that channel, they are straight dropping knowledge and in-depth and, and on every single play. They know what's coming exactly. before it happens just by the formation. Exactly. You, they, I mean, nothing surprises them. Oh, yeah, they're lined up here and offset eye. It's going to be this and that. And he's going to get the kick-out block on the edge, and they're going to do a corner blitz, blah, blah. And, I mean, it's just they're not even excited. They're just sitting there handling business, watching film. Just do what they do, because that's how in-depth they are. And, and that's what I love. But here's my thing about Jim Nance, is I can envision him on the on the Monday of the championship game, if it's Kentucky and, let's say, Duke. And he's, you know, at the end of the game, when it uh, goes to all zeros and the uh, confetti falls, he's always got something he says that is just the corniest thing ever at the end of the game. <laughs> Like Simon says, championship. When Arizona point in '97, it's always that. And I told my wife, and I'm going to put this out there: if the Cats win uh, on Monday night, I would I would put fifty dollars on him saying, "Well, these Cats have nine lives and nine championships, or something uh, like that." That that what? is my <laughs> that is what I'm going with because I'm like it's too easy for him not to do that. So he is, that's what my money is on. 
And well, yeah. So you're already saying he's got it. He's got it locked and loaded. He got it pre-rehearsed and yeah, preconceived I, already. Or, or something, something about cats and nine lives. That I think, without question, is going <laughs> to. It's what's going to hit. That's that's my <laughs> that's my two cents on that. Uh, but here's but here's my thing about the commentators. Uh, you know, Billy Packer. I think we had a lot of gripes with with Billy Packer. And for obvious reasons. But, you know, he did like 30 years of the Final Four. So in the old days, before these team casts, you had that same voice covering a lot of your memories of watching the game. And I don't know, I just don't think that's a good thing. I think you need new, fresh blood to kind of give a new voice to the games. You know, I remember just watching, you know, in 96 and 98. And even when you watch the games, you still got Billy Packer, who I'm not a fan of, kind of, I don't say taken away from, but it's just a little thing that nags at you when you're watching those old uh, games. So I just think it's good to have a little fresh blood uh, for your different sporting events. That's why I like the Super Bowl rotating between uh, the different broadcasters, so you don't get the same people every year. I'd like to see something like that uh, with the with the Final Four. Did I lose you, Vinny? I was just had Larry Vaughn. I'm gonna try to see if he can call right back. He sent a text when he's on the line. I was gonna try to jump back to him. See if he'll give us a ring right back. Um, but yeah, um, it's cool to have those those options on the broadcast. Uh, give you that different insight. Even with the football on uh, ESPN Classic, it's just a channel where you hear sounds of the stadium. All you get is cheering and band playing and the whistle when the the play is over with. So you even get silence almost if you want to flip to that. Uh, so yeah, you got. Tons of different ways to to check games out. Um, but let's check and see if we do have our man Larry Vaught back on. Let me check the line, too. Uh, Rick Barnes has been named the coach at Tennessee. TB, let me get your thoughts on that as I see if I can get Larry back. Okay. Not a problem. Uh, I, I saw somebody, and I can't remember who it was, tweeted where I think it was a win-win for both schools. Uh, I think Rick Barnes had reached kind of the end of the line at Texas, and I think uh, the Tennessee, he gives Tennessee uh, a little bit of credibility uh, and some stability to a job where they've had, what, four coaches in in five years, something like that. So uh, it's one of those rare win-win for everybody. So uh, I think that that's a a good thing for – for Coach Barnes, and a, and a very good thing uh, for Tennessee. I, I know he wasn't uh, a sexy hire, if you will, but I think that, uh, like I said, he's going to uh, – he'll do well. He'll he'll build a solid program and probably not have that expectation that he had uh, when he was down in Austin. Yeah, and you're right. It's, credibility is what kind of stood out to me because – I mean, did he underachieve at Texas? I think he did. Uh, I had forgotten that he had made the Final Four in 2003. 
made the tournament yeah. a bunch of times, but never had really a lot of long extended playoff runs. Uh, had Kevin Durant for a year. I don't really remember him doing, you know, a lot that year. A matter of fact, lost to Tennessee and Bruce Pearl. Well, I mean, I remember Chris Lofton shooting about a 35-footer in Kevin Durant's eye. You know, <laughs> I remember that. Uh, had LaMarcus Aldridge. I don't remember making a big run uh, with with him that year. And, of course, as we talked about, guys go on to the NBA and just continue to showcase and develop. Um, Kevin Durant, you know, has won an MVP. He's been plagued by injury this year and is out for the season, but, you know, second best player in the game, according to most, behind LeBron James. LaMarcus Aldridge, he plays in Portland, which is, you know, quiet Pacific Northwest, kind of like Seattle out there by itself. But believe me, as a Houston Rockets fan, he absolutely kills us, and don't I know about him. Uh, in the playoff series last year, you know, Houston had no answer for him. Um, and he's a great player as well. So he's had, you know, two bona fide big-time NBA players. But he still got that credibility. His his overall record was very strong. Tennessee, in the position that they're in, like you said, with all the coaches they've had, they are fortunate to get anybody with any credibility. After uh, Bruce Pearl and, and Donnie Tindall situations and then uh, mixing in Conville Martin there for a little bit too, but for them to end up with Rick Bowers, given the, the state they're in right now, yeah, it's definitely a win for them. And it's still, like you said, it's a win for Barnes too. too. I mean, you're you're out at Austin Sunday and you're hired in Knoxville basically Monday. The following day, boom, they did his presser. And, you know, he's up here, you know, in town and, you know, he's you know, hired in and everything. So both of them, it kind of worked out good for both of them the way it just kind of fall, fell into place, I believe, as well. But we'll see what he can do as far as recruiting. Uh, got a lot to do to get things turned around for UT. And then from that standpoint, he doesn't even have to change anything. He can continue to say that he's at UT. He just went from Texas to Tennessee. <laughs> and, you know, nothing even changes for him. Just a shade of orange is a little different. That's it. <laughs> and on according to ESPN, looking like Texas is trying to go after Shaka Smart as maybe a replacement for Rick Barnes at Texas. And also, uh, Brad Stevens is trending on Twitter like they might try to make a run at him too. So it would be interesting to see who fills his spot down in Austin now that, you know, Rick Barnes isn't there. Well, and and I think what did Barnes in, uh, I think if you're – Especially in a football school, you can fly under the radar for so radar for so long, but when you look uh, like who you touched on with Durant and Marcus Aldridge, and uh, they've had a couple of other guys that have gone on to the league, uh, you think at some point they would be able to unseat Kansas in the Big Twelve, and at some point make it to the second weekend uh, in the NCAA tournament and. It it just didn't it just didn't happen. So yeah, like you said, the the, the pressure level will be um, less there at Tennessee. I mean, for a while, um, they got a little spoiled quickly with Bruce Pearl because he turned them around quickly and had them 
uh, reaching heights they hadn't seen in a long time, you know, making Sweet 16s, had a run to the Elite Eight. Uh, they hadn't done any of that since, you know, the late 70s with Ernie Grunfeld, Bernard King. Uh, so they want that back. Uh, and, you know, as far as putting money into basketball, they put a lot of money into basketball, and, and Tennessee basketball is one of the most profitable. There was a stat that as far as, you know, profit, they was on par with Michigan State and Wisconsin and, you know, other top 15, 20 programs in the nation, but they're not getting the results on the court like that. And they want that. And if he doesn't, they'll get impatient after a while uh, just because they tasted a little bit of success a few years ago in basketball. Um, but for right now, he's okay, and we'll see what he does. Um you know, and, you know, he's gonna have a, a rough go the first couple of years for sure. Yeah, uh, but I think at, at this point they just had to go with uh, stability. Uh, to be honest with you, they had to because uh, that program, uh, much like the football program, was just in free fall. Now, you know, I don't, I don't know that they uh, at Tennessee are expecting him to win championships. Uh, right away, but just some stability and some respectability, you know, bringing those back uh, to Tennessee, uh, you know, where they had some success uh, kind of being the, I guess, the longest running foil in the SEC to Kentucky, to be honest with you. Yeah, absolutely. And apologies from me to Larry Vault. I've got to flipping away from the call screen, and he held for a few minutes, and now he's en route in the car traveling and not able to give us a call. My bad for not checking. Uh, our good friend Tina that we met up there in Lexington when we met with Cameron Mills uh, is going to pass that on. So, you know, I always find a way to mess something up, and tonight is no <laughs> different. My <laughs> my apologies to the legend Larry Vault. Um and I appreciate him even, you know, trying to work us in. And my bad for not glancing back at the screen. I was trying to Google something, trying to type something as we were on, and I should have went back and should have just stayed on the screen. Um, and he texted that he was on the phone and said he had to go. And, Larry, I apologize. Um, it is not Terry's fault. Terry's still in your good graces. I have to get back in your good graces. Tina, please pass that <laughs> on to Larry. I am sorry. It is on me. So, uh, you know, that is my bad on that to everybody involved. Um, and safe travels to you too, Tina, as you head up to Indy as well. Um, my dad is heading up Thursday, going to fly up and be there in all the hoopla. Uh, and my cousin from Louisville right there in your city, he's going to be there as well in Indy. So everybody has safe travels and and my dad always finds a way to end up being on TV. You know, down in Dallas last year, you know, they were panning the crowd before the game started, and there he was with, you know, it was a bunch of Duke and Wisconsin fans, and there's my dad in blue popping out right there on the screen. But, you know, stuff like that always happens to him. He's hilarious. So uh, he'll definitely have some more fun happenings going on in Indy this time around too, I'm sure. We... um going to have Mr. Roy Wood on in a few minutes because he texted back and said he'd give us a call um, and definitely get Larry back on in the coming weeks. It's definitely busy time for him 
and uh, we look forward to having him on in the future. And apologize mm-hmm. for not having him on this time. Um, I got to give a, a salute, TB, to the Dayton women's basketball team. And it's, it's, it's kind of paying me to do so because they knocked Kentucky out in the second round of the NCAA tournament in Memorial Coliseum, 99-94. They shot the lights out. Kentucky had some trouble missing some layups and some free throws and just defensively weren't able to get a handle on the Flyers. So they go on and beat Coach Mitchell and our beloved UK Hoopcats. But to kind of soften the blow and sting we felt, they went ahead and punked Coach Walls and the Louisville Cardinals out in the next round, went ahead and ended their season too. So, you know, they made sure there was no Kentucky-Louisville matchup any kind of way because they knocked out both squads back-to-back. And to top it all off, you know, after that they get to face UConn, who, you know, as as Kentucky is on the men's side, UConn is and often is prohibitive favorites uh, running away in the women's side to win it all and cut down the nets. Dayton comes in. I tweeted Jen Smith, who was on with us, of course, covers UK hoops for the hurl leader and UK football as well. I said Dayton will have um, come into this game playing with more house money than almost anything we've ever seen. Because, I mean, they're playing Utah. Nobody expects them to be there, much less compete. And UConn hang, hung in, went toe-to-toe. Uh, Dayton hung in, went toe-to-toe, and was up at the half. <laughs> they went to half meeting UConn, uh, who was winning all their games by, you know, 40-plus points a game. They beat Texas by uh, about 50. Uh, and, you know, they, of course, UConn pulled away and, and won going away in the second half. But Dayton brought UConn's margin of victory way down. So you got to give them props to that. And we have a call on the line right now, so I'm going to quit talking and just hop right to it and try not to miss it anymore. Hello, you're on Cat's Talk with Vinny and Terry. Hey, it's Tina. Larry What's sent up, his apologies. Tina? Nothing. He sends his apologies. He's traveling right now. He, Larry he has nothing to apologize to... for. It's <laughs> and, all my uh, fault. Said, tweet back. <laughs> no, you're all right. You're all right. But uh, he said he'd be happy to do it any time. So he's busy right now. Yeah I, yeah, I understand. And it's, look, I was I messed that up. It's on me telling this. It's all on Vinny. You know, Terry is exempt. Oh, he's, I just, he's a good guy. He'll <laughs> forgive you quick, I'm sure. <laughs> and he'll and have we've had him on a couple times before. Oh, no doubt. And, uh. Things will slow down a little bit after this week, and we, we always enjoy him coming on with us and, and taking the time to do so. Uh, and I just bungled the whole thing up <laughs> tonight. Uh, we he's got all right. <laughs> It'll be all right. So, he's um, he's going to have a lot of good coverage, and then um, I'm going to be doing some, too, some um, photos and stuff. I'm going to try to do, like, a photo montage to go on Cameron's blog. So we'll get it all done. Man, looking forward That's to that. Outstanding, Tina. Outstanding. And we'll see. I've never been to a Final Four before, so we're going to have to see how this works out. <laughs> you got a good one to go to. You got a good one to be at for your first one. I'm very excited. I wish you guys were going to be up there with us, but we'll send plenty of photos and have plenty of stories when we get back. So. Well, I, I could go to the Final Four, but I don't know if I would have a home to come back to. Oh, so, I <laughs> that would be That would be a 
Oh. Now, here's what I did. I told my husband back in October after I had I had dinner with the team one night, and I told him, I said, you know, I feel it. And he said, oh, Lord, here we go. And I said, I'm going with her. You going on? And actually, we're it's all girls going. He's staying here. The guys are coming over here to watch it on TV, and I'm going with the girls to, to Indy. Holy. Holy. <laughs> oh, the, the ladies' road trip. Ladies' well, road trip. Y'all... We're going we to tear it up, I tell you. We're going to have a good time. I you, all know, you guys be careful. Be careful and cheer loud from Kentucky. And we're going to do it, and it's going to be all good. Sounds good. You, you got good. it. Wait what do you know? I mean, we've come this far. We may as well. Yeah, but, you know, I want to tell you, I woke up yesterday morning, um, and I thought to myself, you know, this time next week I'm going to wake up and it's going to be over. Win or lose, it's going to be over. And there's going to be a huge letdown. I mean, you know, you, you live and breathe this for so many months, and then, bam, there's nothing. Exactly. No easy letdown no, and no withdrawal. You got withdrawal and no easy letdown. <laughs> It's awful, but we'll. It'll all be good. It's all going to be good. I got a good feeling. I hope so because I'm spending a lot of money going up to Indy. <laughs> 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 that's, that's well, have fun for us. We know you will. I can't wait to hear the stories and see the photos and read the articles. Uh, it'll be fun. It'll be fun, and I'll cheer loud. And, be, and my two goals are to get a selfie with Aaron Rodgers and Magic Johnson. And you know that's uh, not going to happen, guys. Huh? I said, yeah, they'll both be there. Uh, Aaron Rodgers has been following around uh, the uh, Badgers for a while. Well, and the I'll funny thing is, my husband just laughed at me. He said, there's no way you can pull this off. And I said, just you wait and see. Just you wait. <laughs> it won't happen, but it's going to be fun trying anyway. So he done went and said you can't. That's done sealed your fire now. That's all you need oh, it is to be. Fueled- the gas tank is full now for that. Let me just. Well, you guys be good, and we'll talk to you when we get home, okay? All right. Thank you, Sounds Tina. Sounds good, Tina. Thanks All for right, calling. Bye-bye. All right. Bye-bye. Safe. Wow. Tina Cox coming in as the liaison between myself and Larry Vault, trying to ease my blunder, and I really appreciate it. And she's a heck of a writer herself, and I can't wait to read her accounts and see her photos and Check out the selfies with Magic and Aaron. That's going to be fun. <laughs> well, and, and that's the thing, the the real beauty, uh, I think, of the Final Four is uh, you can get a, a, an experience actually being there. You can get an experience, you know, going to the games, just being in the city. But you can also, uh, what I like to do, what I will end up doing, is actually being in Lexington for the Final Four. Uh that's just always, you know, to me that's a special thing is being in the city. Uh, I always drive up uh, that Saturday, and I'm, you know, coming from Louisville, driving up, and there's just a – it's like a big blue family. And, and that's one thing that my daughter's pointed out to me this week is with the cats, you know, we're out wearing our Kentucky stuff, and – you know, you're high-fiving strangers. You're you're talking about the game. I went and got gas the other day and ran into a Kentucky fan that was in Cleveland for the Notre Dame game, and we're just talking about that. It's just a communal experience right now that, you know, if, if they go 40-0, this is going to be something that 
when you're driving from wherever to wherever and you run into a Kentucky fan, this is going to be one of those moments that that we all can share, and, and that's going to be very, very special. Yeah, it'll yeah, add it to the, the long list, but it will climb and work its way to a prominent spot on that long list of, you know, moments and uh, memories that get recounted over and over again. Exactly, exactly. So we look forward to that. Um, the closest, I've never been to a Final Four either. I've been to one regional final. It was just kind of random. It was back in the day. I think it was it was 99. Uh, down here in Knoxville, I watched St. John's in Ohio State. Uh, back when our test was at St. John's, Michael Reb was at Ohio State. Scooby oh, Pim was at Ohio State. Yeah, so it was it was fun. It was fun. I mean, I didn't have a dog in the fight. Uh, I don't know, I'm like 20, 21. So just a bunch of us, that, you know, friends of mine, we all just kind of went and, and just took a trip down there just said, hey, listen, there's regional finals in Knoxville. Let's go check it out. You know, none of our teams are in it. Some of my friends were Tennessee fans. You know, we have some Kentucky fans there. But, it, you know, we were just going because we were, you know, basketball fans wanting to see a good game. And it was a good game. I think Ohio State won 80-78. to 78. You know, Mike Jarvis was still there at St. John's. Uh, I think Jim O'Brien was at Ohio State. So it was cool to, you know, just, uh, you know, the electricity was still there, even though you, it wasn't your team. You got caught up in it. It was a good game, and it was fun. So um, I know a Final Four would be on a whole other level than that. So uh, I have to put that in the in the bucket or on you know notch that off the list at some point in time, uh, so I know it would definitely be a heck of an event to go to. Definitely, that, and, and uh, with this being what the seventh Final Four since I've kind of been of age, it's amazing that I've not been to a Final Four game. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm gonna have to work it in. Um, I don't want to have to go to one. I need to go to one with my dad. That'd be one of another thing we can do. You know, we've done some bucket list type stuff. Uh, you know, all those Kentucky bowl games when they were making all the bowl games under Rich Brooks. We went to all of those. We went up to Fenway and caught Red Sox games just because we wanted to say we'd been up there. Uh, but yeah, I guess we got to catch the Final Four. My dad's even been to a few Final Fours. You know, uh, Kentucky didn't make it. I think he was there for Duke and Butler in Indianapolis as well. He was in New Orleans in 2012, and of course he'd be up there for uh, the Cats being in the Final Four this weekend. So um, we'll get it all worked out. Where him and I, are, you know, him and I and my wife and some of my other family will go. Uh, we also got to do what you've done. We got to hit the Pro Football Hall of Fame. We got to do that as well. Uh, so yeah, we will get all those things squared away and 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 scratch them off the list one by one. Definitely. Uh, my my goal is to is to go to a Final Four, but I knew this ticket this year because uh, I think we touched on this before. I said the Cats going to the four, Final Four thirty eight and no, that's going to be a tough ticket, and I think that's kind of becoming coming to pass as I look at some of those prices. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So uh, it may be. 
destination-wise, a longer trip when, you know, a city not as close as Indianapolis, but it might not be as pricey with, you know, Kentucky coming in, you know, maybe having a loss or two or, or something like that in the future. So you might have to travel right. farther but spend less money. <laughs> that makes any sense. Yeah, I think I think that would be the case going forward. But, you know, looking forward to uh, to Saturday's game, you know, I hear a lot of the, the, the commentators kind of saying, you know, uh, Wisconsin's not the same team they were last year. And, you know, my response is, well, neither are we. You know, last year, uh, well, he didn't play. He was injured. And I, I think that defensively, going from Randall to Towns uh, is an upgrade. Uh, I think that the Harrison twins are even smarter and more battle-tested than they were last year. So I like our chances uh, in the game. I'm not so worried about, you know, can we stop uh, Kaminsky and can we stop Decker, can we stop these guys, can they stop us? You know, if it's a one-possession game with two minutes left, is Wisconsin going to be able to do what it takes to win the game? Uh, because I know we can. We've done it before. Aaron Harrison has done it to Wisconsin. So uh, I'm not worried about can, how can Kentucky deal with this. How can they deal with us? And that's the one thing I like about Jay Billis is he actually asked that question because so often what we're hearing is how do you beat Kentucky? Can Kentucky meet this challenge? How about saying, can this team deal with Kentucky? That's the question. You know, as I touched on last week, and I'm still on this thing, the fact this team can lose, that's just a theory. No one has proven it yet. Everybody's had some good ideas on how to do it, but as of right now, nobody's done it. So until that happens, it's can they beat Kentucky? So – uh, you know, as always, I'm fired up for the game, and I know you are uh, as well, because uh, it's going to be a matchup. It's not going to be a cakewalk, because they don't just give away Final Four games and, and championships. you got to go out and earn it. Uh, but with this team, I like their chances. Yeah, yeah. It's, I wrote a piece about all the revenge scenarios that took place in this Week 16, and a lot of them have played out. Um Arizona got another shot at Wisconsin. Um, we saw Louisville get another chance to play NC State, who had beaten them in a regular season. Wisconsin wanted another shot at Kentucky. They get that shot. So a lot of chances for payback. That's just a few of them that happen now. We'll see. You know, Wisconsin is better. Kentucky is better. Um, we don't have pointers this year, but you know, we didn't have Willie last year. Uh, Sam Decker won't have to worry about Poitras dunking on him like that happened last year. He don't have to relive that, but it might be Marcus Lee. It might be Willie. It might be <laughs> Towns or somebody might get him. Uh, we'll see how it all you know plays out on the floor Saturday. Uh, it's it's going to be a fun matchup. Um, they have the revenge factor playing Kentucky, but as I wrote in the piece on Wildcat Blue Nation, Kentucky wants to avenge the bitter taste of the loss in the national championship. So everybody's got access to grind and will get the chance to, to see what they can do and not just talk it, but actually do it when they actually have a chance to play one another. 
Uh, it's been fun seeing the, the kind of revenge scenarios and angles that have happened in this tournament. Oh, uh, definitely. And, uh, and the Wisconsin folks have got, as much as we have enjoyed seeing Aaron Harrison's shot, they've got to be, that's got to be their Christian Leitner moment. They've got to be tired seeing it. You know? yeah. So uh, yeah. that's in the back of their minds uh, and everything. So I, I feel, uh, but I feel confident with these guys. Uh, the one good thing uh, I liked about the Notre Dame game especially was, you know, for the for for a big bulk of the second half, Towns carried the load, especially in the offensive end. But in the last two to three minutes of the game, you had about six guys do different things to help win the game. You got Towns, uh, you know, uh, Ulysses hit a shot. Aaron, of course, hit a shot. Willie with the block, you know, great team defense. And uh, how many seven-footers, and this goes back to Chris Weber, how many seven-footers can run step-for-step with Jerry and Grant all the way up the floor as time ran out. Not many. I think uh, also underrated was Aaron trailing the play because as you see Jaron Grant come to that stop, Jaron Grant, excuse me, you know, Willie goes flying by, but then Aaron is right behind him to make him clutch it just enough and give him just, you know, another hand to think about as he's letting the shot go. Uh, so tremendous uh, defense on that uh, that last uh, shot attempt by Notre Dame as well. Uh, like you said, Willie really, really shadowed him, and um, was it Andrew that was right there behind Willie? They kind of bracketed him. Was it, him was it Andrew? Away. I thought it was Aaron. Was it Andrew? It might have been Aaron. Yeah, yeah, it might have been Aaron. And then, like you said, like uh, and Trey Lyles ran from the middle to contest because Willie kind of ran by with a little. You know, yeah. over pursued, uh, and then Aaron was closing, and Lyles jumped out at him. But I swear, though, even with all of that, the shot was online. I mean, he shot it yes. long, but it was it was online. I was like, "Are you kidding me?" I, I it had a good chance to go, and to be under so so much duress, Grant still pulled off a, a pretty decent look, you know, and. For them, they had six seconds. You know, we wish they had less time to, to do something, but that gave him plenty of time to get up the court and get a shot. Uh, with him being defended the way he was, he wasn't able to pass or anything. But that, I mean, I was impressed that he got off that look, and I was holding my breath. It wasn't like he hit the side of the backboard or air ball. The thing was online, and I didn't exhale until, you know, Booker caught it. And it went over the rim. I thought, you got to be kidding me that he still got it online with the defense that he had, the duress he was under. And and what about uh, the commercial showing the Leitner shot before the before that last play of the game? I said to my wife, I said, you've got to be kidding me to put that in my mind right there. I said, you've got to be kidding me. That's an awesome thing to show. I said, as if we weren't nervous enough. Uh, but one other thing I liked was Andrew really commanding the troops the last part of that game and drawing that foul, which was a foul. Last year, through most of the regular season, Andrew drives, he runs that guy over, and it's a charge. Uh, 
I mean, we, we saw it a lot. We saw it some this year. But he just did that subtle little step to the side that made the defender slide with him, and that's how he drew the foul. That's a play that both Harrisons can make and will need to make in Indy, is driving the ball with a purpose, attacking, but attacking smartly. And I think that was something that we need to give him props for, too. And then just to calmly hit two free throws, no big deal. I mean, and all the talk about uh, the the free throw situation, and you look, and Notre Dame misses down the stretch. And, and our main guy, Andrew, steps the line, hits two, and here we are going to the Final Four. So all these different narratives are falling by the wayside. You know, in the six years Cal has been here, we can't win with freshmen. Here we are at four Final Fours. Well, you know, these guys, especially this year, will never be happy. You know, there's not enough minutes. And they have bought in from day one. You know, even last year, it it was a struggle last year. We all kind of felt it after that South Carolina game. You know, and Pat Forty writes that piece about Kyle uh, sleeping in his bed. And then he kind of writes the shit there. So you're reaching the point where I understand that Coach Calipari is not everybody's cup of tea. I get that. Then just say, I don't like him. Because you're running out of objectable reasons to not like him. You know, it's either, you know, they're saying he's slimy, he pays players, the same old, same old. But, you know, people still saying, well, he can't coach. What are you talking about? They don't give away Final Fours. You know, that's the that's the thing that we're to that point now where the, the haters, as the kids say, they're telling on themselves because there's no real reason uh, to say these things besides I just don't like Coach Calipari, I just don't like University of Kentucky, which, again, is fine, but just be honest about it. Yeah, yeah. It's the <laughs> you don't everybody doesn't have to like everybody or root for the same team. And that's what the Bay Bill is saying. I mean, you can you know, not be a fan of Kentucky just because you don't care for Kentucky. But <laughs> what more do you want this team to do? You know? They you know, you, players don't come back. This year they've had players come back. You know, what what more do you want them to do? Basically said the same thing. So it is kind of you know, people just clinging to uh, thoughts and impressions and perceptions from the past, and just just refusing to let them go, or refusing to uh, accept or believe what they're saying, but instead just just hanging on to things they've always said uh, or thought about Cal and Kentucky <laughs> in the past. Exactly. You know, these guys they're just they're just hired assassins. You know, they you know they don't care. And, and Charles Barkley said that after the Notre Dame game. Look at these guys. Look at them. Look at the joy. I mean, the, I know you probably saw the video of Towns hugging his mother. And just, I mean, these guys care about winning. They do. Uh, they want to win. They want to be successful. You know, all these things people talk about, well, we want uh, colleges about team first. Well, Nobody on this team, you know, you've got, what, five or six guys average between 11 and eight points a game. you got seven or eight guys average between, like, 
25 and 21 minutes a game. We say, or at least some of these folks say, this is what a team should be about. Team is, is, is living up to the textbook definition of what we say we want from our sports. These kids have been humble. They have, been, they have not woofed at anybody. Matter of fact, I don't know if you saw this, but the Hampton guys were quoted in the paper here is, is talking about how polite the Kentucky players were during the game, you know, helping them up, saying excuse me, different things like that. These guys, you know, my thing is if you don't like this Kentucky team, you just don't like Kentucky. It's fine, but just say it. Just say yeah. it. I don't like Kentucky, and that's fine. But these guys, there's no showboating. This isn't uh, Terrence Jones flexing. This is not Antoine Walker uh, woofing. Uh, you know, even uh, I think you could probably say, you know, you got Willie with his little stare downs, but that's about it. I mean, there's, there's, these guys are, are winning, and they're, quote, unquote, doing it the right way. Absolutely. And to your point about Towns, um, there's an article in the New York Post about him today, um, if I can pull that up, uh, just about how oh, he's yeah, a renaissance man and how, how he's almost unbelievably perfectly nice, you know, and it goes back to a lot of how his parents raised him. They wanted him and his siblings to be just, you know, well-rounded. Uh, with academics, with reading, with math, you know, playing the piano, all these other things besides sports. Um, and, you know, he's an avid golfer, you know, as well as all the things he did as a high school player and playing for his dad and being better than all the players on his high school team in eighth grade. Just a great read on him from the post. Uh, it might have been Ian O'Connor. I put it out on our show account before the start of the show, and then on my personal account, I'm trying to get it now uh, to see well, who wrote it. It might have been, you know. To, uh, you think back to Anthony Davis. You know, when he once he made his big dramatic growth spurt, he stuck with the same team in Chicago. He didn't go to one of the basketball factories. You know, these are the kind of guys that Cat was bringing in, and you and you gotta you, you gotta love these guys. They are not the big bully guys that you think of with Kentucky. They're not the showboaters and the trash talkers and all that. They're just really good basketball players and, and great citizens. And, again, not liking Kentucky, that's your prerogative. That's fine. I'm okay with that. And legitimate criticism, I'm fine about that too. But, man, these are some really good kids. They really are. It was that Braziller, Braziller, who wrote that for the New York Post, um, even talked about Carl going to the hospital with a kid he knew, a kid and gotten hurt uh, and had to go to the hospital. Carl went with him because the kid's parents weren't able to be there. I mean, and this is a <laughs> this is a kid. He's a kid doing a, a grown-up thing, you know, just thinking well beyond his years. Um, everything he did, you know, on the court and off the court, finished high school in three years with a 4.2 GPA. Um, the workload that he took while in high school, uh, but he was determined to do it. You know, everybody's like, you don't need to do that. And he, he still took on all all of that and, and balanced everything and juggled all of that. 
and then going to play for the Dominican team at age 16, you know, for Cal, playing with Al Horford and all those guys down there. Um, it's a, a cool read by Zach Braziller, Braziller, I'm not sure how you pronounce his last name, uh, on the New York Post, and I put it up on our show account at Cat Talk Wednesday uh, and my personal account at Vinny Hardy. So check that out. It's a good read. Speaking of another good read, did you see the piece Julius Randle wrote about how it's not really one-size-fits-all when you when you're talking about going to the NBA and looking for that. He wrote that on the cauldron yesterday. Oh, heck of a piece by Julius. Yeah, and, and that's the thing. All these guys that have come through here, for the most part, I'm I'm sure there's some some knucklehead, but they're really great, interesting guys. I, I mean, and and uh, I I just don't think that gets reported enough. I mean, now we're seeing stories. You know, Willie uh, took the four year old girl on a, on a little date. That that's made its rounds, and and uh, Marcus Lee visiting people. I mean, these are great kids, and yeah. I've had a few Louisville friends that oh, well, they're just doing it just for the press. And I mean, that is just such a skeptical, cynical view. Um, I just think they're what's wrong with them just being great kids? Yes, and speaking of great, we are joined by our, our second guest. Uh, this man has hilarious. He's been on our show before. I've been gracious enough to come on our little show. As big as he is, uh, as, as popular as he is, as funny as he is, we're talking about Roy Wood Jr. We had him on before, and we got him on with us again right now. Roy, welcome to Cast Talk with Vinny and Terry. Man. How are you doing tonight, sir? How y'all been, man? We've been doing good, Mr. Roy Wood. How are you, sir? Uh, you know what, man? I am over here a little angry. This has nothing to do with sports. Did you know they're selling pre-colored Easter eggs now? Pre-dyed? I saw you think about that. I saw that. What kind of failure are you as a parent to take your kids out and ruin Easter? Everyone knows Easter is about ruining your mom's best pot with orange water. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Then your dad comes in the room and goes, who messed up the good pot? And then he sends you to your room with no food for the next three weeks. Okay, just me? All right, sorry about that. <laughs> yeah, I, I saw that tweet earlier, and I, 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 I had to retweet that one because I said, I, that, is, that is the epitome of like, life. I, there's better stuff to be mad about in this world. I know there is, but you know what? It's, it's just, you're, you're, you're the worst kind of parent. And don't talk to me about your schedule. And, well, ever since Jerry left, it's just been me and the little ones. And I don't have enough time as a single mom. But you can't celebrate Easter. Skip Easter and pick another holiday that you can properly prepare for, like Christmas or Thanksgiving. But you don't go out and ruin. Ugh, I'm sorry. Maybe we should talk basketball. Hey. Yeah. Kentucky by 10, both games. There. <laughs> Succinct and to the point. Prediction. That's for Saturday over Wisconsin, well, right? Catch my team. You know my. You know the, the thing that I enjoy the most about the NCAA tournament. Um, it's whenever I don't. I don't. I just watch the few teams lose. Let me just say that first and foremost. I don't really. The better the game, the better, because the worse the crying is. I think I'm the <laughs> only person that just. I love it when they cut to the crowd and there's a shot of a white girl crying. Like, it's, and it's 
I'm sure there's other races that cry. I've seen black people cry. I've seen some Asians crying in the stands. But that white girl here, it's so beautiful. And it's like you feel the pain through. Like with that girl from Villanova, did you see the blue chick from Villanova? Yes, I don't yeah. know if she was playing yeah. piccolo or, I don't know, a recorder. Whatever it was, she was crying her ass out and still playing that damn flute. God bless you, piccolo girl. I, I said it was like the band on the Titanic. They're just going to keep on playing as the boat's sinking. Yes, yeah. gentlemen, it's been a pleasure playing this. And just start that playing again. It's the best part of the tournament. I literally can't tell you any stats. I can't name any players. But I can tell you every game where a white girl cried. Oh, it's so beautiful. It's better than the crying kid during national championship games or um, sometimes during the Super Bowl they'll cut to the crowd of some privileged kid whose dad could afford a $3,500 seat for a six-year-old to go eat $12 hot dogs for three hours. <laughs> and it, it's hard to feel sorry for that kid because you know he's going to have a decent life. But college football tickets are pretty affordable. They're $80, $90. That kid's still got a 50-50 shot at a decent life. So it is a little bit more sad. But I still like it. I laugh. <laughs> That's hilarious. We're joined by Roy Wood, Jr., a very funny, talented comedian. Man, what's going on with you? Just to flip off basketball for a minute in sports, um, got you, you touring and crisscrossing the country, according to your site on your roadwood.com. Check that yeah. out. You're going everywhere, yeah, man. man. Some of the same, man. Some of the same. Jokes and driving. I'm in San Francisco uh, in a couple of weeks. Um, I haven't been back to Kentucky um, I haven't been, man, it's been at least two years maybe. Um, I have Louisville on the books for October, but, you know, as it stands right now, I'll just be out in L.A. for a while uh, doing a couple more things with ESPN. I've been blessed enough to, to do some stuff with um, with ABC and some sitcom work during, you know, now during pilot season. So, you know, I'm trying my best to move on. Hey, see you doing the Sports Nation thing. Dude, you have no idea how hard it is to lose on that show. It's like having your guts ripped out. I'm not as funny as Marcellus Wiley. He's a good guy, but I'd like to think I'm as good at being funny as he was at playing football. I should be able to beat him, and sometimes I don't, yeah. and I take it to heart. Now, now, just just on a personal note, speaking of Marcellus Wiley, he had a great career with the Chargers and the Bills. I'm a Cowboys fan. He played one year for my Cowboys defensive end. He had no sacks the whole year. I, I kind of, I mean, how do you not look up into <laughs> yeah. a sack one one year? Aren't you playing against one bad offensive tackle and the quarterback just drop back and fall and you go back there and touch him? That that was just kind of my little axe with him. I was like, get, when you play for my squad, you don't even get a sack. Come on, dude. Come on. Oh, that's how it goes. They're good until they come play for you. Who are you telling? I'm a Chicago Cubs fan. We got every has been. Back in the 90s, we had Fred McGriff. Remember him hitting home runs yeah. for everybody but the Cubs? We got Greg Maddox after the Braves used him up and dogged him out. We got Greg Maddox on the back end of his career, like an old like, – 
Like, Greg Maddox started with the Cubs. That's what a lot of people forget. His Some of his best years were with the Cubs when he won his first Cy Young. And then right. he went to Atlanta and dominated for a decade and a half. And then he came yeah. home to just dial. It was basically like an old dog coming home to <laughs> die on your front porch after living this amazing life elsewhere. Yeah, I'm a Braves fan who enjoyed that run in the 90s. I don't mean to kick you while you're down. But, uh, you know, that's the one the one uh, worst series they got, you know. And people say, why didn't they win more than one? I say, hey, they got one more than the Buffalo Bills got. Leave us alone. <laughs> touche, good sir, touche. <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, you know, it's, it's, it's going along as far as, you know, the career and everything. Um, it's just been fun to be a part of some of these cool sports shows and, you know, still do my own little things on the side or whatever. And, you know, hopefully I'll be able to do a couple more things with USA Today and uh, For the Win, you know, and all of their websites and stuff. But, yeah, definitely looking to do more stuff with sports and comedy. And I see you got a few global trips in the books, too. I see Louisville in October. You know, me and my better half might have to run up and catch that. I see Kuala Lumpur and, and Hong Kong. Is that still? Dude, that? Man, I, I like the problem is here's the problem when I fly to places my mama can't pronounce. I know <laughs> that if something happens to me, she'll never be able to tell the police where to start the investigation. You know, Miss <laughs> Wood, where was your son last? Kuala Lumpur, Kuala Kuala. <laughs> Koala Bear Lamp. Just listen, Mom. Don't even worry about it. That was in Israel. Um, we were in a um, we were in a town of Beit Shemesh in uh, Israel. We were doing shows, you know, in and around Tel Aviv for you know a bunch of Americans that still live over there, ex-military. And I call my mom, and I'm just trying to explain to her where I am. And she says, "Where are you?" I go, "Mama, I'm in Israel. I'm in Beit Shemesh." Beit Shemesh, no, Mama, I'm in Beit Shemesh. I'm in Israel. There's Jewish people. I'm out of here kicking it with Jewish people, telling jokes and stuff. Jewish people in Beit Shemesh. Where you at? It's a lot of Jewish people. Yes, Mama, I'm in Brooklyn. That's where I am, Mama. <laughs> I'm in Bro- oh, well, why didn't you just say New York? All you had to say was New York. Yes, Mama, I'm in New York, in the borough of Beit Shemesh. <laughs> I'll be home soon. That's I, I gotta ask. That is hilarious. I gotta ask you too. We're slipping back to sports. You're a big Miami Dolphins fan, and y'all have Indominus Sue down there. I gotta get your thoughts on that because that was the big news in free agency mm. a few weeks ago. Everybody wants the villain on their team. It's like Terminator Three when they found out the Termin- Terminator Two when Sarah Connor found out the killer robot wanted to help her. Hey, it's all good. I have no problem with the guy. Step on people, punch them. I don't care. Do whatever you got to do to get that sack, bro. Earn your reputation. Take this pencil, shave off your razor, sharpen that metal tip, get you a shank. Whatever it takes, man. The AFC East has gotten tougher. And we might have to save yeah. somebody. As good as the Bills have gotten, everybody got good. Yes. Yeah. Even the Jets. Absolutely. I'm just hoping. I'm just hoping Darrell Revis went home to the Jets, much like Greg Maddox, with nothing else left in the tank, <laughs> ready to fuck. <laughs> oh, that, they the reunited a whole reputation. bunch of people from New York. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. 
you never now, know. With Geno Smith, any loss is possible. So keep the faith. <laughs> now, when when UAB got the upset, did, did that kind of, you know, pull at your heart because you're your Alabama natives? Did, were you kind of happy about the Blazers making a little oh, noise like that? Oh, absolutely, right man. Oh, absolutely, man. Anything that's good for Birmingham, you know, I, I will always support. The reason why UAB doesn't get the support that Bama and Auburn does is because a lot of their boosters graduate in medicine. UAB is a medicine school, first and foremost. Like it's so when you think about the type of people who graduate in medicine, first of all, you graduate from medicine, and then you have to go back to school for three, four more years to get some other doctor degree before you can become a pretend doctor to become a real doctor. Before you know it. You're 31 before you're stepping into your career field. Meanwhile, in Tuscaloosa, you graduated 21 with that degree. It's office of life, so you got plenty of time for beer and liquor and football parties. So that fan base is a lot more adamant about football because they've also had it longer, so there's more of a tradition. But, you know, anything that gets any school other than Alabama on the map, because I will always hold the University of Alabama accountable for the death of UAB football. And, you know, no one – no one wants to unearth that because, you know, that's kind of just, you know, the state of Alabama business. But a lot of what happened with the demise of the UAB football program comes at the heels of the athletic director in Tuscaloosa. That was – I was wanting to see what your thoughts were with them shutting down football because uh, Tennessee and a lot of – in Kentucky, who we're fans of, are, you know, scuffling trying to schedule another opponent since they're not going to be on the, on the schedule. And I, I wanted to get your thoughts on – I knew you had some inside stuff and, and had opinions on it. I didn't know it was the Tide's fault, but I knew you would know what was really going on well, with all that. Well, you know, you don't – here's the thing, man. If you're Subway and everybody's buying your sandwiches, would you be cool with the Quiznos opening up next door? Because that's eventually what UAB football would be. UAB football sucked at the time, but they were a growing program. So do you want the fan base split? Or do you, and, and, and let, Let's say you ran a subway and you had the power to shut down this Quiznos that's coming in up the street. Would you allow this Quiznos to flourish? Or would you go, nah, we don't have enough money to run a Quiznos. There's only one room for one sandwich shop in this state, buddy. Shut it down. And that's Basically what happened. Now, on the record, they'll say, oh, well, there just wasn't a budget and the football team wasn't winning and the attendance at the game, so, 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 so. Well, the attendance was garbage because the stadium was in the hood because you were using the um, municipal stadium in town instead of building something on campus that people would be proud of and actually show up to. I mean, I love my city, but the place where Legion Field is, two blocks away from that state, I saw a dude getting stabbed while shooting at somebody else. Do you understand how bad a neighborhood is? Or you just see two separate murders occurring within the same murder. And why, but on the flip side, I I mean, I'm not saying I know what's going on, but I don't know to play devil's advocate. Why would Alabama have to worry about UAB no matter how how good they got? I mean, it was Alabama. And that was the argument that everybody was making. Why are you worried about your kid brother? He's not doing anything. He's not causing you any harm. But, you know, hey, you want to be the only pony in town, you got the power to flex. 
and you flex. Mm. You know, they got an outside chance of um, of still getting the team back in 2016, they're saying right now. Mm-hmm. You know, we'll see. You know, I don't – I still think that's a 50-50 odd situation right now. Mm. 100% 50-50 odds, you know, but – you know, if they yeah. come back, it'd be nice to see them, you know, come back. Because, you know, the city deserves to have something, that, you know, for what UAB means to people in Birmingham. There's a lot of pride attached to that school, and I think that, that was growing the time, and it was only going to get better. And I just feel like, you know, the students didn't deserve it either. I mean, you look at all these kids who came over there, the promise that the football program was still going to be there. And, you know, they get to transfer without losing a year of eligibility, but still, it's just not a good situation. And I, I think you just hit us with a yogiism with that 100% 50 the odds. That's straight Yogi Bear right there, wasn't it? <laughs> <laughs> and, man, I'm going to tell you, uh, I miss the Sullivan and Son, too. I'm, I'm just going to go ahead and bring that up. I don't, I'm not a live tweet type guy on for as far as shows. You don't see me live-tweeting The Bachelor or Survivor or none of that. I live-tweeted Sullivan and Son. I was tweeting at you. You would tweet back as well as all the rest of the cast sitting there replying and all that. Uh, enjoyed you on there. And, of course, we enjoying you on everything else. But I, I miss seeing that show. That was hilarious. And you did your thing hey. on there, man. Hey, well, you know what? I also blame Alabama football for that. See, people don't know, Alabama football also owns – TBA, and we could have stayed in business, but Alabama football made the call to cancel Sullivan the time. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> I, it was a Man. fun show. I was happy to be a part of it, but, you know, uh, PBS went through a change. The only, the only analogy I can give that will make sense to the listeners is when you get a new football coach, if you're a running back and your football team hires a passing coach, you know you're going to get traded. So, yeah, yeah, that's what happened. You know, we had a um, a new head of programming at TBS that wanted to go a different direction creatively with the comedies, and most of everything that was on the schedule didn't fit. And to give them credit, they canceled just about every show that was on the air during the time that we were there, every scripted show at least. So, you know, it's nothing personal. The dude just wanted to do something different. So right. we pick up the pieces and trash on. Yes. And uh, now, if you ever own something or hear something that, you know, need two brothers to host a radio show with no acting experience, you know where to find us. I'm just throwing that out there. Uh, <laughs> you know where to find us. I'll let them know. <laughs> we'll, we'll get on there and, and do our little extra thing and try to pull it off. Hey, I know Absolutely. March Madness is about over. March Madness is about over. Are you going to jump into the NBA playoffs? Are you a big fan of that when that comes around here in the next few weeks? Um, I'm not a big NBA guy. I watch it, but I don't really have a squad. I mean, I root for the Hornets, but that's just off of some childhood favoritism. I couldn't even name the starting five. I do like seeing Steph Curry put people in the hospital. That's pretty enjoyable. Um, I was good. <laughs> the way he's breaking grown men's ankles. Uh, he didn't have to do pretty... Chris like that last night, did he? Well, you know he didn't have to Chris do Chris like that. That's, that's why sometimes that's why sometimes you just gotta punch people. That's why I appreciate Bill Lane Beard. Bill Lane Beard never got shook like that. Bill Lane Beard would just punch you in the mouth and just go, "No, you don't get to do that." Dennis Rodman would just grab you. 
just gonna that's know. True. You know what you're not gonna do is embarrass me. Chris Paul <laughs> gonna be on. Chris Paul gonna be on that man basketball card. That's what you don't want to happen in your life. What you don't want to happen as an athlete is to end up on somebody else's basketball card. That's very true. That's exactly true. what's gonna happen. Very true. Man, Roy, I appreciate you hopping on with us as you crisscross the country. Uh, I might have to catch you in Louisville. It's been a minute since I saw you. It was, this has been a couple of years. Might have to yeah, make I that do my best to get over to Lexington, man, but, you know, it's just been hard uh, with the television production schedule the past three years. I had to cut some cities off of my tour date, off of my touring, so hopefully I'll get back around to you guys this time. I saw that on the website. If I was in Denver and Spokane, I'd be mad because if I was planning to see you, but hey, it is what it is. Uh, I might try to catch you in Louisville in October. I might have to make a little trip up there. Uh, TB is already there. That's where he lives at. So uh, me and my wife might roll up there and catch the show, man. Uh, wow, but there it appreciate is. You, appreciate you hopping right, on with us. com at RoyWoodJr. on Twitter. Thanks for taking time to hop on our little show, Roy, man. We always appreciate it. All good, fam. Talk to you all later. All right, man. Thank you. Roy Wood Jr. jumping in. So uh, I went one for two on the guest. TV. I had to bat 500 tonight, and we'll get Mr. Larry Vaughn on next week or or next uh, in the coming weeks, I should say. But appreciate Roy hopping on and, and just being his Usual hilarious talent yourself. All right. Now, here's my final prediction. All right. The Cats okay. finish 40-0. and 0. It's, a, it's the dream season. When we come back on next week, we will be celebrating good times like we're cool in the game. There you go. And go be blue. Go be blue. That's my little man Chandler, my two-year-old with his go big blue. Getting on the air, he's got his little pretend phone talking right now, sitting right beside of me. It's gonna be fun if that forty and old happens, and we sit here next week, reflecting back on the final four and the whole season and the whole ride. Um, it's it's gonna be something to see. Uh, be safe when you go to Lexington to watch. Um, it's gonna be some nail biting. Don't be nervous. Everybody's good. They're a big boy squad just like us. So uh, we'll see what happens when the dust settles Saturday in Indy. Uh, hope Tina has a fun time up there. And everybody that's there, be safe. You have fun in Lex. And I'll hang out here at the house and watch it with the fam. It's just one of them. It's a special time, man. This one is This one is special just like all the other ones, but each one has their own little uniqueness. Exactly. Well, man, I enjoyed it. Appreciate you coming on and us doing this thing every week. <laughs> Enjoy doing the show. Enjoy Roy coming on. Uh, Enjoy everybody listening and tuning in and checking us out. Have a good rest of y'all's evening. And we will talk to y'all this time next week. And like TV said, hopefully it's a 40 and old celebration show. All right. Have a good one, Vinny. You too, CB. Appreciate everything. Everybody have a good night. And thanks again for listening to Cat South and Vinny and Terry on the Brandon Hardy Radio Network on blogtalkradio.com.